Welcome back to Your Brain on Positive. All the love and support you need is residing inside of you. And we're going to make it easier to turn it on. Welcome to Your Brain on Positive. I'm Jackie Simmons. I am the host of the show, and I am here to make sure that you know that Your Brain on Positive is 31% more productive than your brain on negative, neutral, or stressed. And to help us understand the power of positivity and the ways to bring more positivity into our lives and why we might want to and why our brains might thank us if we do, is my guest, Deborah Gensler. So without further ado, I am going to bring you up into this realm with me. There you are, Deborah. All right, feel free to unmute. And we'll get into your bio and everything in just a minute. But first, Deborah, we were sharing before the show started about challenges when you have people you really, really, really love and they end up going into hospice care and dying. Mm-hmm. How did you prevent that? How did you take what you were experiencing with your brother and bounce back? What did you do? Well, I mean, I... I think for my brother, um, it was a, he had been struggling for a very long time and it was not something that he, he wouldn't want to live the life that he was living. And so uh, we, you know, and I had been the, the person who for the last few years, I, and I still do fund my family and fund their retirement and take care of them. So I'm sort of the caregiver, even though I'm the youngest. Um, so I have been um, really looking after people for a very long time and, knowing him and knowing what he, how he wanted to live his life, he was not living it. And so I really had to support him to, to come to the conclusion that it's okay. And I feel like he's in a better spot um, because he he was not living what he wanted, how he wanted to live. So giving yourself the power of perspective. So having perspective on that. That's awesome. All right. Deborah Gensler, who are you and what do you do? <laughs> who am I? I? I have to say that I was, my family and my sister have, not me, my sister and I have always been blamed of being the most positive people that they know. Always, uh, always seeing the uh, positive side of it, even when it was my family would be like, we're, we don't know if we can put food on the table. We'd be like, oh yeah, but we're still have each other, you know? <laughs> so, um, so, I have not had really times where I felt like there isn't a better option that you can get to. Um, so, so grew up on a farm, poor farm. We didn't have running water. We didn't have uh, telephones. We were kind of pretty distant, uh, very rural Nebraska, but we always uh, had uh, optimism about the future. Could be, could it be good? So. Um, wow. Okay, so from a rural farm in Nebraska, we're just going to bring everybody to the present moment. What do you do now? Well, I'm I'm a CEO for Gray Matters, but I sold my company. So that's how I got here. I started, started my company. The philosophy for Gray Matters resonated with me as a former healthcare CEO. I felt like we were not taking good care of our patients. And I felt like through the process that we were just processing people. I was been around long enough to remember when health systems used to be community centers, and then we turned into big business. And uh, 
I felt like, you know, during the way we forgot who we were there to serve. And so um, I started my own company in 2009, 2010 to bring, to do two things. One was to recognize that everybody's unique and in, in, in individuals because we treated everybody the same. You have diabetes, we treat all diabetics the same. We have this, we treat all of them the same. But I, what I uh, learned along the way as a CEO in Chicago and in Boston was that every person's unique, every person's different. You have to take into circumstances of what they've gone through, how their mission and values work and how they make decisions about their lives. And so I started a company in 2009, 2010 to work directly with employers to to manage their total population by putting primary care back in the center and becoming a center of trust and engaging people early. Whoa, and- whoa, whoa, whoa. Putting primary care back in the center and re-engaging trust? Yeah. I, I want to just pause and I'm going, wow, I don't know about anyone listening, but this concept of trusting the system of medicine, trusting that people have the time and can really have the capacity to hear us, putting trust back into healthcare. Are you some kind of radical? <laughs> no, I'm just kind of common sense, I would say. <laughs> so. Well, and I think you're absolutely right, because I used to say to CEOs before we worked with them, look, if you think that your population trusts the health system, walk through the hallways of a hospital someday and hear people say, you're not my doctor. Are you sure that's my medicine? Are you taking care of me? I've not seen these things before. And so what we said, what we started our company based on was each person's unique and an individual, and we really want somebody to listen to them. We trained, we had the Prochaskas from uh, Rhode Island come and talk about stages of change and understanding the person and training our providers to not come in and just listen, not to come in and just preach because they're very, the providers are very, very smart people. They know what's going on. Who is they- that again? Wait a minute. You're saying this word like I should know them and maybe I do, but I'm not catching it. Who is this? Prochaskas, they created stages of change and, and the, the, their philosophy was they were out of Rhode Island. Their philosophy was to understand the willingness of people to be ready for making change. Wow. Okay. So I haven't heard of them. Obviously I'm about to go add another book to my collection. Uh, (laughs) All right. So they came in from Rhode Island to introduce the awareness of stages of change to your healthcare practitioners. Correct. Because the goal was, to understand if the person was ready to, to make differences in their health life. Um, yeah, we call that motivation in my right. world. Are well, they motivated to actually right. change? Well, and we had pre-contemplation, contemplation, motivation, uh, preparation, and then maintenance. And so we really wanted the providers to understand you can say all the things in the world you want to, to the patient, but there's only one person in the exam room who can improve their health. And that's, the patient themselves. And so that's why our name was Activate, because we really wanted to activate the patient to understand they control health. If they don't follow their prescriptions, if they don't follow their care plan, if they don't understand how their choices in life make a difference, we can't, it doesn't matter how smart we are. We have to engage the patient. All right. I got pre-contemplation, contemplation, motivation, and then what? Uh, Then preparation and maintenance. Got it. Okay. If people in, I'm, I'm a energetic healer. I'm, I'm, I'm one of those multi-certified experts. So in energetic healing and in mediation, the same training that I received was slow down 
so at first so you can go fast later. What I'm hearing is that once, well, I'll ask because I could be just making this up. What happened next when your practitioners understood these five stages of uh, pre-contemplation, contemplation, motivation, full preparation, and maintenance? What happened in their interactions with their patients? So the first thing was, we also taught them motivational interviewing. So the first thing for them to do was have the patient tell their story. Um, It didn't matter what they came for. We wanted to hear who they were. And we found such great examples for patients who came in as example with strep throat, but we talk, we talk about what else is going on with you and, and tell us about, you know, how, how, why you have this, what else is impacting it, your other health conditions. And, and our very first doctor who we hired did a great job. He interviewed people. He got to know who they were, but he also started with a statement over, further into the line about describe to me when you felt healthy, when you, and what did that feel like? Because I think sometimes we forget what it feels like to feel healthy. Describe to me what it feels like to feel healthy. Describe to me how you feel today. And let's talk about some changes along your life that may have impacted how you feel today and what's different. And then we could actually get into what's happening with the patient and learn so much more about them. We uncovered so many health issues that may not have ever been identified or that was impacting their health that it was amazing for people. And it was a great experience for the patient. We were we were dedicated to number one, being the service to people, not having the patient be a RVU center or a cost center to be respectful. So when they made an appointment, we saw them on time and they spent with the provider. We did not bill. Well, 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 now you're talking radical. <laughs> you're talking radical for the patient to actually be seen at the time of their appointment. Yes. That's cool. I like that. Well, when you think about it from a patient's point of view, there's a lot of reasons they don't try, they don't go to the doctor. Somebody's going to tell them what to do. Then I'd have patients tell me, why would I go and have somebody tell me to exercise, give up smoking, eat different? All the things I already know. I said, you should never pay for somebody to tell you that. Should you have somebody sit there and listen to you about what your goals and motivations are for your health and what your risk factors are and the consequences of those choices? Absolutely. But- for somebody to just tell you what to do, it's it's not going to work, which is why I think a lot of the wellness programs failed because nobody educated the patient about really health. People like to learn about their health, but they're they're nervous about it. So, so being respectful would be respectful. The second thing was we really wanted to make sure that we educated the patient. Um, and so, you know, really let's talk about, ask somebody how they got diabetes and what that means to them. They don't know. A lot of times they just got labeled. So they had no clue what, what was going on with that. So we really tried to educate. And then we really created the the risk factors of what's your choice in life? You want to see your grandkids? Do you want to do this? These are things that we can, we can change, but really how do we help you get to the goal that you want? That's lovely. And I can see how that was kind of radical. What happened in the business when you instituted all of these things? Well, so we encouraged the employer to say, look, 40 to 50% of the population is not engaged in healthcare for these reasons. They don't, they wait until they have a catastrophic event. I used to say healthcare is a lot like gyms. Those who know how to use it are the first to come, but you want those other people coming. So we really encouraged them to get people engaged. So we had a goal of getting 85% unique participants in the first year, engaging the populations and their families in the first year, some kind of incentive, get them to come in and see the incentive. 
So consequently, what happened was it was wildly successful. People came in, they were treated with respect, they were listened to, they learned about themselves and they learned choices that they could make or not make. Our providers learned to love it because they actually were able to get to know people and not know the condition or the symptoms. And from the employer who typically spent 20, 20% of the population spent 80% of their healthcare benefit dollars, um, they actually were taking those dollars and spreading it across their total population to learn about their population. Over time, what happened is the employer now knows because they have a trusted center where people were going, maybe I could create my benefit plan differently. Maybe I'm addressing the wrong things. Maybe I should, you know, focus more on more. Maybe there are fewer sick days. Let's get to the bottom line. Well, so consequently out of our 200 plus employers, almost everybody had a return on investment. The the first employer group we brought in, their healthcare expenditure went down 28%. So not only were we increasing the healthcare spend and taking care of um, more patients, but we're actually allowing that employer, they called and said, you know what, you just saved 15 jobs because we were looking at cutting things, healthcare expenditures are crazy. And now we can actually reinvest. Well, that reinvestment also improved the community because now people had a more successful organization and their money could be invested in the right people. And the people were healthier and people enjoyed it. And so it turned out to be, it turned out, I said, it's the first time in my career as a healthcare CEO that I saw happy payers, happy providers, happy patients. <laughs> it's like, who they Oh my them? God, the happiness advantage realized. Um, yeah. and that's my favorite TED, TEDx talk with Sean Akers, the happiness advantage. What he teaches is what I say at the beginning of every podcast, your brain on positive. When you're happy, you're more productive. You're actually more prosperous. It's been proven over and over. You created a whole wellness healthcare culture that proved that out for everyone. It was interesting because we had people of every socioeconomic category that you could have. And I used to say to the providers, we can't own all of their problems. But we can do is build confidence when they understand that there are choices that they make over their own lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and so consequently, they they understood that people really felt good and the providers became really, you, you know, they knew their patients extremely well. We had one provider who knew the patient wasn't accepting that they had diabetes. He would meet them every day at the factory door and say, let's see you take your medicine. Let's see how you do stuff. So we were able to be free to actually really do the right thing. All right, now I'm about to change the energy completely because you said something at the beginning of this that some people might've missed. You sold the company. (laughs) You sold the company. Are they still following that premise? Well, here's my philosophy on companies, okay? I, I was never intending to be an entrepreneur. I just happened to see things that weren't right. I'm an accidental entrepreneur. Okay, so I'm right there with you. Right. And okay, so you sold it and you let it go. Congratulations. Talk about stress management 101. You actually released it and it will go and it will continue in whatever form the new owners take it, right? That is correct. They did have me, they wanted me to stay on because I I was very passionate about knowing every client, every customer, every, you know, pr- provider, you know, even though we grew to be a national company from, from Maryland to California, I still worked, people trusted me. They'd have my phone, my personal cell phone number, clients did. 
So I stayed on, but it wasn't my company after a while. And I said, I can't be here because it's not my company. But I think in the evolution of companies, what happens is you have a good idea, competitors come along, money gets invested, you know, the, the environment starts to change in the environment that you're trying to change. It's not, so now you're competing against more money. And we were just a small mission driven organization eventually, because now we had, we had six right, years. I'm going to, I'm going to take, and we're going to bring this into something I actually speak about. How okay. being a mission driven helps you stay calm, focused, and profitable. Okay. And you were, while you were a mission driven and head of this organization, you were calm, focused, and the organization was profitable. Your clients had a positive, not just an ROI, because everything's a return on investment. They had a positive cash flow ROI to working with you on positivity. Now you pivoted mm -hmm. and you're down here in Florida, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So what got you into what you're doing now? Dr. Bredesen has the same philosophy that I do, which is get to the root cause of what's driving the issue. If I were a healthcare CEO, I know the providers who are going to provide the treatments. I know people who are going to take care of it. People are going to manage the systems, but you really don't know the consequences of what you're doing and how the patients are, are being treated and acting. And so it's a space that I learned so much about. So what I loved about Dr. Bredesen was, you know, we're, we're, all we're doing is treating the symptoms. We really need to get to the root cause of what is causing cognitive decline. And that could be caused by, he would say at the beginning of his research, maybe 36 different issues that are going on that could cause cognitive decline. We need to get to the root cause of what's cognitive, cognitive decline issues. Okay. And so you went from the broad topic of total health and wellness care on a systematic employee management platform to something very, very specific. And yes. the specific is brain health and right. cognitive, um, I, I, I can't even find the right word, cognitive maintenance, cognitive um, increase improvement as opposed yes. to decline. What if we could change that dynamic as we get older? Maybe we get smarter. Right, right. Well, he's actually turned people around. We've actually seen our own patients that have come in. Normally, if you get diagnosed, what happens when you get diagnosed, you get a treatment plan because it's sort of a, a fatal, you know, this is a decision. This is okay. Like the diagnosis we're talking about specifically is Alzheimer's, correct? Correct. Cognitive decline at the Alzheimer level. Correct. Well, and there is different cognitive decline, of course. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, we treat it all because, because each of them have a root cause of what caused it to happen. So, so yes, that could be mild cognitive decline. It could be, um, the also. bottom, the bottom line is it's the scariest sentence a doctor will ever tell a client. It used to be the big C for cancer. Now it's the big CD for cognitive decline. Right. It's frightening to people. And, and we've educated patients to believe that there's nothing that can be done. And we've educated. We who, whoa, whoa, whoa. We in that sentence is not you. So who has educated people to the fact well, that this can't be? I think most providers, if you go, if you say of cognitive decline, most people are going to say we're going to treat the symptoms. Mm -hmm. They really don't get to what caused it. Okay. So is that why you partnered up with Gray Matters? Yeah. Okay. I think, 
because I because I believe there's a different approach. I think you should get to the root cause. Some people you may not be able to turn around. Um, a lot of people are afraid because we you know it takes twenty years in advance to develop cognitive decline. Okay. Uh, but you should get screened early because you might be able to change it around. Let's talk about four things that anyone can do to improve the odds that they won't face cognitive decline today or soon. Well, so the first thing you could do is get a screening test, you know, lab work, get an assessment, evaluation. That is the, that is the issue. If you're not going to get the screening test, you really need to. And I, and I will digress here a minute, but I do think that healthcare has not kept up in the, and in healthcare, it takes 30 years to implement a new change into a health system. It takes that long. I believe that in the healthcare systems, what we've ignored is the chemicals are exposed to the, the food, things that are in our food, the environment. We don't really test that in, in healthcare. We just treat the symptoms of that. And so if you're not going to go for the screenings, you need to look for things like, what am I exposed to in my my daily environment? Is there mold in my environment? Is my water good? Do I have mercury in my, in my system? Am I eating clean food or am I eating processed food? You know, really kind of getting to know the clean part of life. I think reason, one of the reasons I'm so healthy is we had no choice to be clean because we grew on the farm. (laughs) So we had. All right. So the first thing I'm going to just bring it down into four words. If you want to prevent cognitive decline, clean up your act. Clean up your act. Look at your food. Look at the quality of your water. Look at the heavy metals in your environment. Look at the chemicals that you are surrounded with and clean up everything that is non-essential. And there there used to be a list of a dirty dozen, these products. your products that had arsenic in them that we didn't know had arsenic in them and stuff. Most of those companies have cleaned up that list from the last 20 or 30 years. Is there a new list that people need to be aware of? I think there's always going to be a list. There's always going to be a changing list. I mean, okay. Is there a new credible list? Not that I know of. Not that I know of. There may be out there somewhere. I mean, in this age age of uh, generative artificial intelligence, which is the meeting I just came from, (laughs) was understanding chat GPT and all of its variations and cousins and um, step families and whatever. When in doubt, there was once a very wise woman who said, if you read the label and it looks like it belongs in a chemistry lab rather than a kitchen, it probably does. Right. That's true. Okay. So, so that was my, my guy, Mark, his mom said that to him. So he's been reading labels since he was born. Smart. Smart. Yeah. So the, the, well, the other thing is exercise because uh, you have to, um, Dr. Bredesen's very keen on the, keto diet. Um, but you know, you have to, uh, uh, the other thing that people do, and I, I think this is true. We get into the habit of eating when it's time to eat, not when we're hungry. <laughs> so. Got it. So, so cleaning up your environment, exercising more, no matter what level of exercise you have exercise more yeah. and eat only when you're hungry. Right. That would be an amazing thing that would absolutely cause chaos in our public school system. 
because that's where most of us learn to eat on a schedule. Well, you're right. I never thought about that. You're absolutely right. Oh, we were trained from the moment we had to go to school. You have breakfast before you get on the school bus. You have lunch when the bell rings. You stop eating when the bell rings. We were trained like Pavlov's dog. And then when you got home, you had a snack. And a couple of hours later, mom had dinner ready. And we were trained for this. And then we wonder why we have obesity. Right, right. You're right. And then parents, both parents started to go work. So they had to buy fast food to feed everybody all these different routines that we had to have. So- Yeah. Yeah. So we can undo a lot of this. And I'm part of a charge for this. So I'm so delighted that you brought that up. There's going to be more and more information about what I'm involved in as the products become more and more available. In the meantime, we've got clean up your act, exercise more, whatever exercise you're doing, add more to it and eat only when you are hungry. And if it's inconvenient, you get hungry, drink what? Water. Good, good water. Good water. Okay. And and good water is defined as distilled, filtered, what? Well, distilled and filtered. I mean, uh, a lot of times things like fluoride and stuff are in your water. That's probably not good for you. And, and um, where is your water coming from? I mean, I was just from another state and I won't mention it, but they have tremendous water problems you know they're going to have problems for a lot of people so so um yeah good why i drink water all day long because i I love water but so then the other thing is really sleep and you know interesting enough when i was building my other company i was really traveling in every time zone you could imagine to every place on the road fascinating to me as soon as i got into like a regular sleep schedule in the same time zone, <laughs> how much that improves your health. So there are, I'm gonna invite people to just do some research on this. Cause I travel a lot. I'm again, a multi-certified expert. One of my certifications is in Eastern healing arts. And one of my mentors, Susan Flurchinger, has a Meridian reset chart. So whenever I travel, I reset my Meridian time clock to my new time zone. And I do that in every time zone that I land in. When I'm in the air, I don't worry about it, but whatever I land in. And so I'll invite people to just look for what are the tools that help you reorient to a time zone if you're traveling, because that is a sleep impactor. Just what we, the stories we hear about just going into Eastern daylight time or Eastern daylight savings time or not daylight savings time, it messes with people's minds. We know this, right? right. Um, not just our schedules and our clocks. Well, but yeah, I mean, your body processes the food and the energy when you sleep, and if you're not getting that, you're not it's you're not processing your food, right? So you're not getting that that stable environment. So sleep and then stress. So I'm a stress management consultant. Been that for about thirty years. It was totally self. Uh, focused because I had three daughters all in high school at the same time and I needed all the help I could get. The school was still standing and all of my daughters survived. So, and so did I. Yeah. And there were moments where it was really challenging. So if someone says, well, maybe I'm dealing with stress. Um, Oh, by the way, FYI, you can tell me what the statistic is now. The last time I checked, 94% 94% of all primary care office visits were for stress-related disorders. 
Wow. Yeah. So this is the key for me in a lot of different ways. I've got my own emergency stress management technique 101. What's yours? Stress release. Uh, management. Yeah, I call it the stress because that's my business. Stress management technique number one, 101. I'm kind of a, I like to, I'm a walker, outside exercise person. I get, uh, oh, cool. I get with my dog, we get about six miles a day and then I work out for 40 minutes a day. And so I kind of, you know, that makes, and I used to be a runner, but now that I got a dog that I have to walk around, <laughs> I don't run. So I come back and work out, but you know, I always, I used to love uh, getting up in the morning and going for a nice run and getting out in the, in the air, you know, not being stopped, st- stepped in somewhere. So, so that's probably my stress reliever, but yeah, I like to walk Ooh, around. I think yeah. that's a great one. So when I realized that there was this, do you remember re- emergency repair procedure number one for a piece of machinery was give it a swift kick? <laughs> so emergency stress repair, stress management technique for me is take a deep breath. Yeah. Hold it and then release it. Yeah. So that's mine because it's it's something I can do anywhere at any time. Deborah, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for bringing this awareness, this history, the fact that healthcare can be interactive, not transactional, the fact that there's a financial return on interactive healthcare that you saw among your employer clients that you're now seeing in Gray Matters. And I love that. I also love the fact that you're local. So we get to get to know each other. Right. I love that. I'm excited. If you don't have Gray Matters where you are, you want to check out Gray Matters. And we'll put some links in all of the notes and the show notes. And for everyone listening, thank you for popping into Your Brain on Positive today. Remember that the power of positivity, the power of optimism and positivity is special, magical poop. P-O-O-P, the power of optimism and positivity. So would you just go poop on the world? They need you now more than ever. Thank you for being part of the show. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Thank you for turning on and turning up your positivity. We know that positivity is easier to maintain in a community. So we have one. Join our community on Facebook your brain on positive. If you've had an aha from the show, please head over to the community and share it. We love to celebrate wins.